Bloody Elbow presents the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming back to you guys just after the conclusion of UFC on ABC, Rosenstroik versus Almeida, which went down at the uh, Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, with J- with uh, Jailton Almeida wrapping up the very expectable, very predictable, not at all a shock, first round submission win over Jairzinho Rosenstreet. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, damn near a flawless victory, right? Mm-hmm. Like he comes out, he doesn't get his first takedown, but damn, he hits that low double leg <laughs> and Biggie Boy just kind of falls to his back and it was kind of a matter of time from there. Almeida is so methodical and so controlling and, and so aware of everything that's going on on the mat that he's four, five, six steps ahead of you. You know, like he knew full down, muster up, throw the ground strikes. The guy is obviously going to either get knocked out or he's going to expose his back. What did he do? Jarzino exposes his back, immediately gets strangled. I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's just levels and Rosenstrike's ground game is nowhere even does not even belong in this in the same conversation. Like yeah. not even not even remotely close. So um, Rosenstrike um, had to keep it standing. He couldn't keep it standing. This is what happens. Yeah. I mean th- we we've talked about this a lot that you know, I think in part it's just the nature of A, you know, heavyweights. They're just not as fast as your littler guys. So like things like scrambles and that and that kind of stuff are a lot more difficult for a lot of your bigger dudes. They're not gonna it's a lot harder to get your hooks in around somebody with thighs like tree trunks or to, you know, scramble through with somebody's swimming and like ro- keep on their back and stuff like that. We've seen guys like Derek Lewis just sort of like stand up and have somebody slide off them over and over again. And that's also a thing at heavyweight where the last thing most fighters want is a heavyweight sprawling on them and stuffing their takedown. So there's not a lot of fighters that wrestle and grapple at heavyweight, which also on the flip side means that there are not a lot of heavyweights prepared for a really good wrestling and grappling game. And yeah, not, a, not a lot of specialists, special yeah. grapplers in heavyweight. Yeah. And Jailton, like... This was the thing, you know, watching tape for this, we we could all predict it well enough, but I was watching him uh, in his last fight against Shamil Abdurakhimov, and he gets in there on this, like, low double leg where he's, you know, swimming for the ankles and, like, pulling them out. And I was just looking, looking at that and thinking about Rosenstreich, and it's just like, what, what in the hell is Rosenstreich going to do about that? What part of this man who basically stands like lock legged in spot in, in one place so that he can throw a huge counter shot when somebody steps into range on him? What part of that is going to be be ready for somebody grabbing him around the ankles? And, you know, credit to him. He stuffed the first takedown attempt. That was nice. But the moment Almeida got a like little sense to draw the fight out, make things have to think a little more, adjust a little more, then yeah, he just, you know, he just grabbed him and tipped him over. Rosenstroik had nothing ready for that, for a reactive double leg that was low in around his knees. Not nothing he could do about it. Yeah, I, I always loved how Curtis Blades just really leaned into his and and just he he gave so many guys fits just because they couldn't keep up with you know didn't have the chops of Curtis Blades and um but 
what what sucks for Blades is he lets guys hang around. Yeah. Whereas at heavyweight, you have to be lethal. You have to be lethal. And Almeida, he's got the he's got the specialized ground attack, but he's mm-hmm. lethal with it. He's either gonna run you out or he's gonna choke you out. Or it's gonna be a combination of of both, like we got right here. And it's, also kind of, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to think of. I haven't seen this kind of um, someone who's got the ground and pound and the submissions. It's usually like one or the other. So I mean, this is one of the first guys. Like you gotta you gotta go way back to to think of complete heavyweights like this on mm-hmm. the ground. I mean, Fedor. It's it's not many who are just as comfortable and controlling with the ground and pound as they are with their submissions and the two so seamlessly. He's special, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it, it's great to see, and it's all just. I think the the big thing too for him that has been such a tr- trouble for Blades, and it, um, you know, we won't know until he he Ahmed is going to run up to the top five, and we'll know exactly how good his game stacks up at the very highest levels when he gets there. But the thing that I'm hopeful about so far with Almeida is that the kind of strikes he throws are well set up to help lead him into his takedowns. Because that's the big problem that Blades has gotten into is that all the work he's put in on his boxing has just taken him away from the posture to shoot. So that, you know, he's out there and he's standing up tall and he's got his hands up and he's pumping out his jab and his cross and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, that's nice. It's clean. You know, it gets you a knockout over somebody like Chris Dockhouse. But then you're in there against, uh, you know, the uh, the Russian guy he fought last time, uh, Pavlovich. Then you're in there against Pavlovich and you're starting to trade one-twos and suddenly it's just like okay now how do you get to your wrestling game off of this how you know right. you're up here in this upright posture you're popping your jab out what's the easy connection to a takedown from here whereas you know almeida it's like okay here's my swimming overhand and i'm gonna duck in right behind this and i'm not gonna i'm, not, I'm gonna make you have to make the guess as to what i'm doing when i come forward and yeah i have to credit his it's it's his brazilian jiu-jitsu Right, like mm-hmm. you don't have that at all in wrestling. Like at no point is that in building to blend your strikes into your grappling. But I mean, yeah. you go back and look at Hoist Gracie in UFC one. You know he's throwing those front kicks, but the like stomp. yeah, the front stomp, and it's the worst thing ever. But it it gave him enough momentum to spring himself forward into these takedowns, into the clinch where he needs to be. So yeah. it's ugly as sin, but it, it was a blend. And yeah. Almeida does that. He blends it all. He's, it's not, okay, I'm either striking or I'm grappling. It's, it, it seems like the whole time feet, he's trying to think of ways to close the distance and get the fight down. And it's yeah. brilliant. It's high five Q. It is. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting, too, to see, like, as he goes up and, you know, faces more big guys, face, getting up to the top, really get into the – the Gons and the uh, the Pavloviches and the Blades up there at the top of the division. But it also has to help that right now that he's like a 220, 230-pound heavyweight. And so his level change and his overhand and stuff like that, they're just a lot faster than what everybody else is bringing. So it really gives him a, that extra step that he can change. He can make that transition and make fighters have to guess at a speed that they're not used to working at. And yeah. and he might have a power disadvantage, but yeah, that that doesn't really matter with his style. Yep, it's fascinating to see. I can't wait to see. You know, he called out. You can't hate that Tai Tuivasa call out. Like you're looking for ways to to get yourself from top ten to top contender. Guys, like somebody like Tai Tuivasa is it's a clear bridge, but um. Yeah, I can't help feeling like we're going to see him in these really tough top-tier fights here before long. And I can't wait for it, you know? I, I can't wait for the day that we get Jelton Almeida versus Cyril gone, something like that. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's fun the whole way. 
You yeah. know, this he's special. Like the guy's he's is a finishing machine. He he has a very specialized game. You know what he's coming to do, but no one seems to be able to do anything about it. So damn right. Yep. Love to see it. Uh it wasn't much of a fight, but you know, it was it was the performance to get me. I'm still excited by it. You know, I'm still like, oh, this is I want to see this dude. I want to see what he's done because, you know, no offense to Rosenstrike, but we've seen Rosenstrike get up to the top of the division and we saw how his game stacks up. And, you know, I, 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 I want the new, I want the new flavor. Yeah. So uh, definitely a huge, a huge positive leaving this car. I mean, yeah. Finish machine. He's strangling heavyweights. Exactly. Now on the on the flip side, we got this light heavyweight fight, Johnny Walker, Anthony Smith, and what he I mean first first and foremost was Johnny Walker sandbagging it. Is that what he's trying to tell us when he comes in there with the post fight speech and he's like, "Oh yeah, I didn't want to finish him. I didn't want to finish him early. That's no fun. I got to go out there and put my three rounds of work in." It's like, "Are you?" You telling us that you're carrying Anthony Smith because I don't think that that's what happened. But that's that's damn near point shaving, right? It is. <laughs> like, um, no, I don't blame him at all for this, man. Not at all. Anthony Smith is a very dangerous individual. He was getting very desperate, winging some crazy overhand rights, um, and Walker is notorious for getting knocked out in a preposterous fashion. So uh-huh. for him to to not find a way to get knocked out and lose this, I it shows an improved FIQ. So it, it is I'm a big myself. improvement. It is a big improvement over where Walker was over the past couple of years. I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan, big fan of SBG Ireland's tendency of anything but how 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 consistently they tend to improve fighters i feel like a lot of people just stagnate there but for walker this was at the very least he went in his past couple fights from having being a guy who was just watching people at range and getting pieced up and losing and not doing anything coming out in this fight and having a couple of tools that he was just using all the time, all the way through consistently. Just being like, go for the leg kicks, throw the jabs, just, you know, stay on the simple stuff. And, you know, for, for Smith, like, he uh, he's been a hard fighter for a lot of fighters to look good against standing. He is, sure. He's not necessarily always the most dangerous striker, but he's tough. At, at light heavyweight, he's been tough to put away standing. Usually most most guys who beat him end up having to take him down and mauling him on the ground. But uh, this was – so, you know, to that extent, it wasn't an electrifying performance. doesn't immediately make me think, oh, man, can't wait to see Johnny Walker in a title fight. But it makes it more interesting to see him back in the top of the division if he's going to face somebody like – Alexander Rakic or you know somebody somebody like that where I, I'm I'm more interested in it now than I was when I was watching him get like you know going up for the three-pointer against Tiago Santos or whatever or was that was that Jamal Hill that was Jamal Hill yeah Jamal Hill. hitting the uh, jumper against Jamal Hill I mean credit to Walker for even running you know he hopped out of the octagon and ran over to Jamal Hill to say some words smart move you know, yeah he's not, yeah. not anywhere close to that title shot uh especially with the way he lost the first time but i'll say johnny walker has had huge like an intelligence huge i don't know what's going on but his is his iq is through the roof lately so whatever he's doing it's working and like you said like i i want to see how long it can continue because i feel like it's going to come crashing down at any moment but yeah. like I'm, I'm for the ride. I mean, even in this fight, he had a couple of a couple of moments where it's like, "Oh, you're doing really well," and then you just got plunked by a very injured Anthony Smith on his like last desperate lifeline. I'm about to get knocked out. Here's the one thing I have left, and it worked every time to keep Johnny Walker from putting him away. So, 
there is still that sense of Johnny Walker walking a very top, very fine tightrope between new and improved. I'm using my tools smartly and or intelligently and uh, same old Johnny Walker. I just got absolutely crushed out of nowhere. So yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't a great fight, but it was a consistent, it was a, the most consistent performance of Johnny Walker's career. You know, that's uh, what I would say. For sure. On the feet yeah. for sure. All right. That brings us to a definite uh, highlight of the card. Ian Machado. I am going to say the Machado just for Gary for getting this way in the way he did. Ian Machado, Gary, Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez, and... I felt like, you know, we talked about this on the Vivi, obviously, and all that set up. And I was like, you know what? I think Gary's, I think he's good. I think he's legit. I think he's going to come out and do really well early. And Rodriguez might rally late. But, like, I'll pick Gary to, to go out there and, you know, be the technician, be the rangy fighter, trouble trouble D-Rod to get in and, you know, really land his counters and, and all that. And Gary just went out there and absolutely snuffed Rodriguez. This was an awesome performance from him. He, I I hope he can shed the, uh, what was it? Somebody on Twitter called him the Costco Conor McGregor label. <laughs> like, I hope he can shed that because he's got a lot of his own, his own skills and it is a very different skill set than Conor McGregor had, you know? Now this was this was insanely impressive, um, and and it, it was set up from the very first strike that he threw because he comes out and he kicks right to the body and he connects and D Rod's like ooh all right so the whole time he's already thinking don't let that happen again. Shortly after that, Gary goes right, with a head kick, lands like with the toes. I mean, it's the toes yeah. barely just graze him, and then I mean a couple sequences later. He just lands full on, and it looked like D-Rod thought it was going to the body. So he goes to block to the body, and it's all shit. Yeah, one of the things I think that really was great for Gary in this fight was, you know, because when he came to the UFC, he was very much like a back foot circling away, walk you onto my pull counters kind of fighter. And in this fight, he used the pull counters to put enough hesitation into Rodriguez to stop the Rodriguez's interest in pressuring for long enough to really set up those creative kick sequences and those points where Rodriguez then had to start guessing and like sitting out at distance with Gary being like, okay, do I want to step in? Cause the last time I stepped in, I ate a really hard jab or the time I stepped in before that, I got walked on to a really hard right hand and you know, so it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll sit back a little and try to feel my way into this fight and make some reads. And Gary's tricky. He knows what he's setting up. He knows what he wants to trick people with. And I think that's actually, I think that's pretty rare, honestly, for a lot of fighters to have that kind of confidence in their striking tools, especially like UFC, where we get a lot of grapplers who are just kind of learning to strike as they go. You, you, you know, it's rare for a lot of MMA prospects to really be able to be like, I'm going to throw, you know, we hear all the time, like, oh, he's, you know, reaching for the kick, throw it to the head, stuff like that. And you almost never see the fighter actually throw and land the head kick that they've set up by throwing low kicks. Gary is, has clearly got a very clear picture in his mind as yeah, to... It's polish, you know, and it, it's it's just like how earlier I was saying, Jalton Almeida, how he's like four or five, six steps ahead. I mean, the same. You always you always hear grappling or jujitsu referred to as human chess, but I mean, the same exact thing is for the stand up. I mean, you can have the same sort of traps, the same. You, you can set things up in in very similar kind of way to where you're not just out there throwing random combos like in a moment you're, yeah. you're throwing things with the intent of building onto something else and you're making these reads the whole time and you use feints, you use fakes, you use, 
you know, all these different tools and the really great strikers. And that's this is what I love about one is is they have like actual Muay Thai fights. So yeah, sure. Some of the highest level kickboxing, Muay Thai kickboxing going on. And and they're doing stuff like that. I mean, look at Rod Tang. That dude is that man is insane. Um, and, and we don't get very much striking like that uh in the UFC. So yeah. when we do get get things like this, it's yeah, we get, we get I mean, gush incredible a incredible showcases over someone. Yeah. D-Rod is the and he is tough. That dude, no one uh-huh. puts him out like that. No, he's, I mean he's superhuman. He's ne- he's he's only been stopped once before, and that was in his last fight by submission to Neil Magny. You know, it's he he got knocked out once as a, a pro boxer in 2015, but. He's been tough as hell his whole career, and Gary put Gary's him away. The truth. Gary is the truth. I honestly, I love the skills he's been building with, and I love too. You know, I, I'm gonna be a fa- always a fan of this. Is that he made his base camp with Henry Hooft, so you know that like the striking fundamentals are something that are always gonna be getting sharpened and worked on and improved for him. And he's a great dude, man. I got to spend some time with him down in Orlando at one of the karate combat events and just the nicest guy ever. I mean, he's got his baby out there playing with it, doing all sorts of ninja tricks and stuff. Just seems like a happy guy. Now on the other side too, he called out Neil Magny after this. Magny's got a fight booked. It's against Philip Rowe. The winner out of that could fight Ian Gary. Sure. But I also saw this being suggested, and I think it's just a much more fun idea, which is Ian Gary, Kevin Holland. Mm. It's uh, well, you just—I mean, you just murked Rod. I feel like that kind yeah. of puts you right there in, in that kind of—I don't want to say it's too much too soon. I kind of was my I initial mean, thought, but. You just, Rodriguez is ranked. Holland isn't. Yeah, but Holland's weird. We know right. Well, Holland can't be ranked. <laughs> he's too weird he's to be spy. ranked. He's too weird. Yeah, he's he's only interested in stand up fights. But this sounds this sounds like something he'd be interested in. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, why not? I like why that idea. Not? Why not? You know, it'll be Let's, violent. <laughs> it'll it would be, be a hell of a lot of fun. And Gary undefeated too. Like, you know, you, you, he he could always stand a prospect loss if he's going to meet a prospect loss. There, you know, he's running up the division, so I, it doesn't. It's not the kind of thing where I'm just like, oh man, I just don't. You know, if he loses, what's going to happen? It's like, no, he could eat. He could eat it and be right back, and you know, stay on track to be a contender someday in the future. I'm, I, as long as he's undefeated and putting guys away like this, I'm all for just keeping him in cool, hard fights. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Carlos Olberg, Ihor Potieria. Oh, and um, I was I was a little surprised for a minute there. I thought, like, Olberg would come out with the kicks. He would make Potieria, like, pay for walking onto him that way. And uh, it was really Potieria who had like the better success kicking and stuff like that early in the fight, and seemed like he was he lunged in with a couple big overhands and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, Potieria putting a little pressure on Olberg, putting a little scared to him. But nah, him walking on to Olberg, walking on to Olberg is just a dangerous thing, no matter what. That man's check mm-hmm. hook, that is a scary strike. And it only took one. It only took land, one overreach from Potieria and yeah. one and look it, right behind the ear. Yeah, it landed. You know, it didn't even land on the chin or anything. It no. just, yeah, like you said, and just completely wiped his equilibrium, just done. And uh, Olberg had to call his own fight, man. He's like pounding yeah. on this, obviously done. And the ref just like, he ain't dead yet. <laughs> and Olberg the cruise yeah, is no. over there going like, yeah. No, no, no. Let him back in the fight. Let him back. You got to keep <laughs> You know, Dom's salty as hell out there because it's he's Keith Peterson. What do you call he, him, Keith? He all, him all, nonsense, all nonsense, Keith Peterson. Man, he is Dom salty for, 
salty for the rest of his life. Yeah, the booth in general, Dom and DC, you got to get those two well away from each other. You know? Yeah, no, this was, I mean, he called his own fight, man. Reminded yeah. me of BJ Penn, um, Sean Shirk. You know? Yeah. Just, anytime you call your own fight, that's pretty gangster. And yeah, the referee could have stopped it, but I think it was still within a window where, yeah, you know, I like. I think the move. I think I'm going to call it. He 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 stopped his own fight, but it 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 wasn't getting too. It wasn't like crazy ridiculous. No, I mean it was. I thought it was perfect because he he gets to walk off and look like a badass, and he could it could have been a huge mistake. Potieria could have sprung right up and just started you know running after him. The fact that Potieria didn't. Like you did the perfect thing. You clearly called your fight at the right time. If your opponent is not willing to get up and start fighting the moment you walk away from them, so Brown did the same thing too. Yeah, it was it was a cool move. I liked it. Somebody in our chat is talk, is talking that Olberg should fight Dustin Jacoby. I would be totally fine with that. I would also just say maybe uh, Iwan Kudalaba. He's on a couple wins. And it wouldn't be maybe as big a step up as Jacoby, but I think it'd be a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Violence either way. Yeah. It is violence either way. Who just knocked out Jacoby? Uh, Jacoby just got beat by – he didn't get knocked out, but he just got beat by Azamat Mirzakhanov. So that's, oh, that's another cool. fight you could do for yeah. Oldberg. But Mirzakhanov, I, I don't – I didn't actually see the follow-up on this, but – he was say, you know, he was saying that he broke his arm during the fight with Jacoby, so uh, that would be probably a little while out if they were going to book some, book something like that. Yeah. All right, lots of fun. that brings. Oh, sorry, yeah, lots of fun, man. He's got. Yeah. yeah, that brings us to a welterweight bout: Alex Morono, Tim Means, and. Um, Man Means was doing good in this fight for a while. <laughs> sure. They were both mixing it up. I thought Means actually won the first round with that big flurry he had right at the bell that like saw uh, Morono get his head snapped back a couple times and look like he was just a little bit shell-shocked. And then Morono came out really good in round two, just started putting it on Means from the jump. Looked like Means was starting to find his way back into the round just a little bit. And then that spinning back fist to, to guillotine combo. Like that that is so that is so pretty to me because you know that the only way that Morono could have gotten that sub is if he thinks about and works on that exact chain of ideas of like I throw the back fist you will shoot on me for throwing the dumb spinning shit and I will jump on the guillotine right away. Cause who would, who would ever expect that? Who, who is going to, you know, jump in on that double leg and expect, Oh, if I put my neck out right now, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, he might want to go train with Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Burn. Um, no, that was sweet, man. And, he is he's a genius honestly yeah. he's a fight genius um he's a teacher he's a coach and just it, it just he seems like someone who just has a, a really big bag of tricks to pull from and yeah this was one of those things it, it was such a gorgeous sequence and we always bitch about people jumping the guillotine right yeah just because the people that are jumping them aren't like that ain't their thing that ain't their move it's not well and, and like i said i I love this one because it really is one of those moments where if you're throwing something spinning like that and your opponent is going to shoot in on you, they expect to be catching you off guard. So they're not going to be shooting a real tight defensive shot where they're like, oh, I got to hide my neck on this to make mm -hmm. sure that I don't get wrapped up in something. They're thinking, oh, free takedown. You threw stupid spinning shit, free takedown for me. And for Morono to be like, no, right there. Here's the guillotine on you the moment you put your neck out. That's cool. I mean, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like one of the things Matt Schnell does that I really also love that nobody else does, which is that whenever somebody shoots on him, he will jump the guillotine and 
he doesn't even necessarily have to get it or be that tight with it or anything like that. But the moment he jumps the guillotine, he then hooks his his leg over the person's shoulder as he's getting taken down. And so he can lock the triangle up the moment he hits the mat and lets go of the guillotine. He's in triangle position. And it's just like that that kind of stuff, that kind of trickery, I, lo- I love seeing that stuff. That's That's always really cool to me. Yes. So not to be confused with just a, a bum-ass guillotine jump because you, you yeah. don't know how to defend a takedown. Yeah. Not, not to be confused. These are these are clearly set up moves, things that people have practiced, traps they've laid that are always fun. And afterward, I mean, I'm going to watch the fight. Uh, a, I get paid to. I'm going to watch every fight. So it's, it's not worth my word on that really isn't worth that much. But I don't care about Morono versus Barbarina, but if you're going to book Morono versus Barbarina, I am definitely going to see it. Sure. Yeah. Kind of very similar, honestly. Unassuming over producers. Yep. It might be a little bit here now that I think about it. Yeah. Hmm. Sure. Uh, Yeah, because Morono, after his fight, he said they've already got it booked. Or he, I don't think they already have a book. I think he and he and Barbarina have made a verbal agreement to fight next. And uh, Barbarina is coming off the loss to Gunnar Nelson, but what the hell? I am Alex Morono is a dude that I love watching in any fight because he has one of the most not unathletic, normal white dude bodies fighting at a very high level. He's not even like super coordinated or like super fluid out there he's got that like tippy toe bj pen boxing style that he likes to use and throws really awkward wide looping shots but as you say like the dude is he is on the ball he knows exactly what he's doing with his goofy style and his goofy body and it's always fun as hell to watch no it's great i mean yeah it gives us regular folks hope right yeah right exactly Alex Morono out there doing it for all of us. All right. That brings us to Matt Brown, Court McGee, and uh, yeah, you know, kind, what is kind wrong? of. What is it? I mean, I hate to see somebody get slept. I, I, I love seeing Brown get the knockout. I'm glad to see him get the get tied, Derek Lewis, for the record. It is a. Gr- the best testament for a fighter like Matt Brown to be in the record books like that, because it's all about longevity for him. I mean, the power's there, sure. But the big reason Matt Brown is getting to that record alongside Derek Lewis is that he's been there for 40 years, plugging away, having awesome wars. And so I love that. It's just, you know, you know, it, we were kind of wondering on the Vivian this week, if like, McGee's chin has lost some of its density, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think that might be the case. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, Brown though, like no, I, you know, the all fact he tied with a heavyweight for for most knockouts in UFC history is that is yeah. insane to me to just like heavy. My guy's like 170 pounds soaking wet out there. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I do. For him to, and, and I'll always say that he's got some of the best tie, best Muay Thai we've ever seen in the UFC. I'll, I will, I'm more than willing to die on that deal. Um, man, good for him, man. I hope he's in the, into the UFC Hall of Fame somehow, some way. Uh, but I also want to say, Shout out to uh, these guys. You got Tim Means, you got Matt Brown, Court McGee. You got guys who have battled with substance abuse, who have found an outlet through martial arts and completely turned their lives around and, and made something of themselves. I, I think it's important to highlight that. That's mm-hmm. something, you know, to have, you know, three different three different examples on the same card, I think it's 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 a good time to kind of bring that up. Yeah, I mean, so it if is. Anyone's doing that, go find a gym. It, it will absolutely change your life. It, you know, Alex Morono, he did he he did the, the the company man pandering to the boss thing, but it was a great message too to just be like, you know, that 
there is a channel through martial arts to change your life, to help bring something new to your life. And you hear it from a lot of these people. A lot of the people that are out there are 100% on board of like, if I wasn't fighting, I would be in much worse places in my life, you know, be in jail, be dead, be what, whatever it may be. Uh, it's clear that sports, it it can really, you know, it, it can really help. And it martial arts, we've, we even, you know, we've got a guy writing for us now, uh, Chris Baker, who does a lot of like highlighting uh, studies around martial arts, like scientific yeah. studies. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he did one here. He, he, uh, brought some attention to one too that like people who do martial arts like they it really helps give them actual like peace and discipline in their life that you can see that you know when people respond to different questions over time through training and things like that that they actually you know they they feel at more at peace through these kinds of things so I mean, even for me, I mean, if it yeah. weren't for martial arts, I'd probably be either 500 pounds or dead, honestly. It definitely had a huge impact on my life. And when you're gassed and you get someone beating on you, it's life-changing. You're like, you know sure. what, this sucks, and I don't want to feel like this anymore. <laughs> Maybe I'm not going to eat these cheeseburgers. Maybe I'll eat the salad and not feel like shit before I train and actually – have some sort of performance see th- this is why i just I, i'm just lifting weights these days and like you know doing like deadlifts and stuff like that then i can eat the cheeseburgers and have the good feeling i guess i know i know i'm just i'm just but uh oh somebody in the chat too came up with the idea of seeing matt brown tim means we have already seen that fight i'm saying what about matt brown and santiago ponzinibbio I don't want to see that shit, man. No, 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 no. I only want to see Brown and and fellow OGs. Santiago Ponzinibbio is not a fellow OG. No, he's still he's a little surprised. I feel like I don't. Ah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think Santiago is firmly in OG territory. I don't think he's O. He, the O and the N, I don't think, in the G. The G's fine. The O, eh, not O enough. All right. Let's see. How, how old is Ponzinibbio here? I, I, he is, he's, okay, you're right. He's only 36. He's not only old 36. enough. <laughs> only 36. I, that's younger than me. So anything younger than me is officially a young man now. Fair, very fair. What do you? How old are you? How old am I? I'm I'm 39 next month. So okay. Well, happy early, early, early birthday. Yeah. And you're aging well, Zane. You fine bottle of wine, you. That's right. That's right. I only I, I'm only getting better. It'll be one like one of those you know. Well, I'm like the apple that's rotting from the inside, where it just looks great from the outside, and then you'll take that bite and you'll be like. Oh man, this thing's way too old. <laughs> or like a wax apple. Yeah, wax apple. There we go. It's the it's <laughs> it's the tufts. You know, I'm getting my eyes done. Uh all right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout. Carl Williams, Chase Sherman. Williams got the win, but maybe a little tiny bit of bloom off the rose, like Chase Sherman has been a, a dude that basically every very decent fighter he's ever fought has just walked over, kind of. And this was not a walkover performance from Carl Williams. This was a I couldn't get my wrestling working and I am now forced to kickbox performance. And the kick, he was a little faster. He hit a little harder than Chase Sherman, but it uh, that was a about it on the dividing line yeah and i mean he got a leg obliterated he didn't yeah. take a single leg kick he gassed out i think he took the second round off like he yeah he, not not a good performance solid opening round yeah but solid opening round but didn't didn't have wasn't able to build enough on on his feet to put things together long enough to do have a 
any kind of sustained damage. And like Sherman, you got to run right through him. Yeah. He's tough, but, and he's technical, but you can out athlete him. Yeah. And, and he's always hittable. So it yeah, really is. Sure. <laughs> the, yeah. But he's always game and he's all, you know, he's always, he always, he's always game. He's always game. I, I do want to, I don't think it'd be a, the next fight to book, but I will say at this point now, my, my interest for Carl Williams is entirely in seeing him fight Alexander Romanov. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a one rounder. Maybe we do yeah. a one rounder there. <laughs> yeah. Ah, All right. I, I want to uh, get through three rounds of that. Damn. No. <laughs> Well, hey, I got I got to get more I got to get more content for the depressed us out here. But you can't it can't all be good fights. They got to be we got to have some terrible terrible sear your sear your soul into the back of your brain through your eyes kind of fights. Well, I don't know. We got celebrity boxing running amok, so I get to that. True. <laughs> all right, all right. That brings us to Douglas Silva de Andrade, Cody Stamen, and um, man, I. A, referees, the, the ref totally fucked Cody Stamen here. 100% fucked him. No yeah. raw dog. Just absolutely shit-awful refing decision to give away the, uh, take away the position based on a foul your opponent committed where you're not even taking a point. Like, we've Hold seen... On. Not even taking a point and not even giving the fouled fighter time to recover or get checked out or anything. Yeah. He just stood him up and was like, fight. And yep. it's like, Whoa, what? Yeah. Really terrible. Well, this is the and... part of the show where from here on out, I'm going to just start bitching about how we, we desperately need to revisit the rules and change them. Cody mm-hmm. Stamen might've won this fight under pride rules. Sure. Sure. You know, and I'm just uh, knees to a down opponent. Like, get this shit out of here. We it should be a legal move. There's no legit yep. reason why it shouldn't be. And when we like we uh, earlier on the card, we get people gaming the system. Like that makes me feel gross, and I hate that shit. And and this is in the same vein. Uh, we we need to revisit the rules. Yeah. So on the one hand, and Cody, as our uh, as our. Uh, channel mod here has noted that Stamen is contesting the decision. I will just say and lay out I do not at all think that there is a point where that con- that cont- contestation is going to work for him. The big reason uh, the only re- way I could see it possibly working for Stamen would be for the ref himself to go before the commission and say hey I screwed this up. And I screwed it up really badly. That fight should be a no contest because that, of that mistake. And the ref would have to say that. And I doubt in this kind of situation that the ref is going to say that because they probably feel like th- they, had a, they had a logic of like, oh, you know, at the time I did this because I felt this. And it, it, the logic may be busted, but if they have a logic of why they felt they made that decision... The thing for Stamen, unfortunately, going out after that is he had a whole nother round and a half after that decision was made to win this fight. There was a lot of time for him to do any of a whole number of things that could have won him this fight. And for him to not get that done, you can't really go back and say, oh, because I lost one takedown position in the middle of the second round, no, I have the first round. No, it was it was round two. It was What's middle of it? round two. Yeah. I thought it was the opening round. No, it was the middle of round two. I think. Unless I'm let me I, 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 I got my stat. Now you're why why are you doing this to me, Eddie? You I gotta only type got, this shit out. Like I don't he, have a choice but remember. Okay, you're right. You're right. It was the first round. So he had two and a half rounds. In fact, exactly right. Right. He had to he, further he, your point. Yeah, to further the point, then he had two and a half rounds to go back out there into the fight and get that win to work and get another takedown. If you can only get one takedown in a fight and you lose that position, 
that's not a good argument that that's a fight that you should have won had that had had just because you lost that one takedown you know it's like oh my one desperate moment of offense didn't get you know got taken away from me and i lost another 10 minutes because of that that's you know how is the commission supposed to adjudicate that like that that would make a lot of decisions very difficult to maintain if they start overturning fights for that your point is Stamen did not lose this fight because of that one moment. Yeah. The other the other but person... he might argue, I hey, I won the first round. Had I kept that takedown, I would have won oh, yeah. the first. I would have won a decision. I understand his argument. I no, at the end it's... the argument's there, but it's just you can't, you know, you can't bet on the future. You can't say, Oh, had you let me keep that takedown, I would have absolutely won that round. You might have. But you couldn't do anything afterward to make to win that round. So, you know, what does that say? That... It's this is poor officiating. It's, it's yeah. really upsetting because it's... these guys have win bonuses on the line, and you got you got officials interfering with the matches to to a, a noticeable degree. Unfortunately, it's also a case in the in the comments notes. Refs need to be sent back to the regionals for mistakes like this. This was the regionals. <laughs> UFC UFC fight night cards are the regionals in modern MMA. I hate to say it, but uh, yeah. you know, it's a shame. the uh, the other outcome of that is that uh, we also got the other person to blame because I, I I believe it was Eric Nixick in uh, Stamen's corner. Because he was the one who came out on Twitter afterward talking about how, you know, like this, he, he was out there talking about what a problem it was. And I, I believe he was there in Stamen's corner for this fight. And Eric, you're like a good high level coach. How did your fighter get to round three, not knowing that they had lost two rounds? You know, you're the other person to blame here. Like it was well, very. It was very clear that Cody Stamen had not won either of the first two rounds. And at the end of the fight, Stamen's there with his hand raised, even after the ref puts the other guy's hand up, and he's like, what's going on? Why didn't I win that fight? Like, Yeah, well, I mean, I understand that also. You're in a crazy fight. First round's kind of close. Uh, I mean, in the third round, you absolutely clean this guy's clock. Yeah. I mean... But he got outstruck two to one in the first two rounds. There was no way he was getting those. No, I, I understand. I understand. But like he, you nearly finished someone. If you're a fighter, I fully expect you if, to have delusions of grandeur. I expect the fighter to have delusions of grandeur. I'm just saying that as a corner, you got to be looking out for your guy there because he had, he had, Andrade badly hurt in that third round. And he did not look like he was fighting for the finish. He looked like he was fighting to keep that round one and keep that round solid because he thought he already had one in the bank. I don't know, man. I felt like he went for it in the third. Uh, he went. He, for he it, went man. for it to hurt to hurt Andrade, but then he got. He tried to finish him. He got on top of him. He started wrestling him, like just because let that's the man. Who he is. I know. Who he is. I know. I. I'm just. Like you're you're like expecting this high level of IQ out of Cody Stamen. And it's like he it was Cody Stamen out there. Uh, I know, know if, but... if that were me in the first round, we wouldn't have kept fighting. I would have been like, nah, I want my position back. Yeah, and, yeah. At minimum, I need to see the doctor. Yeah. I would have threw a fit. So <laughs> Cody Stamen is a is a better sportsman than I because that would have I called my own timeout. Yeah. That's some bullshit. That was uh, to see that at this level is unacceptable. It it was terrible refing. All right, that gives up gets us to our true controversy fight of the night: Mandy Bohm, Kim Ji Young, and uh, now I saw a bunch of stuff that like apparently Kim was really pissed at Bohm because Bohm pulled out of their last fight, and Kim had to miss her grandmother's funeral for it. Or because of that, because I don't, I, I don't understand. Like she would have missed it had they fought too, wouldn't she? Or maybe she had to stay in the U.S. to 
train and like when 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 was that originally booked? Let's see. Tapology. So yeah, there's definitely bad blood between the two. And yeah, but like into the first round, uh, Bohm actually like hooks the leg of Kim as she was standing out and kind of trips her. And so then the that, second round is that push kick happened that she got the point deduct for him did. If that was three months ago was their first fight was booked that got canceled. So I can't imagine that she had to stay in the U.S. for three months out of that. I get the I get the like it's tragic and it would be a terrible thing to miss. But then like going and making that like a reason to hate your opponent because they fell ill before your fight that you were supposed to have. I mean, we're just talking about how martial arts can help people find peace and all of that kind of stuff. And like, it's clearly not helping there because. Well, there's martial him, arts and there's the fight game. I know. Like, what but... you what you have to do to get up for a fight, like that's your business. Like yeah. if you got to hate the other person, whatever. But Some if Kim has to way, hate the other person and she fights like this, then she's then hating the other person is not a functional strategy because she absolutely fought the stupidest fight she could out there. So it's a terrible fight from her on every level. No, yeah, she should have won this fight. A totally yeah. winnable fight for her. Easily winnable. I, mean, I still scored it for her after losing two points. That's how winnable this was. Right. And she just threw it in the trash. Like, this was an absolutely miserable fight from Kim. It sucks that there were some, you know, family and life circumstances that may have pushed her to make it to feel like she had something uh, to to prove out there for this fight. Like, that sucks. But, you know, you've just lost your last five. Yeah, your last five straight fights now. And... Yeah, that was. Yeah, that sucks because this was a super winnable fight. Yeah, getting two point deductions, and again, the rules need to fucking change. Getting a point deducted for needing someone, and that's how the fight ended. Like, uh, Bohm took a knee, a legal knee on the ground, and could not continue. And then, like, she gets her hand raised, and she's all like celebrating, like. Yeah, at least play it off like Aljo did, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I felt so gross after this fight. I felt so gross. The first point deduction, totally legitimate. Like, you can't be kicking people if you like that. I fine. You know what? I'm not going to say it's not legit. I'm not going to say I don't get it. I'm not going to say it shouldn't happen more often. But I will say that I feel like I see fighters kick their opponent off of them all the time in MMA after rounds where like, you know, somebody's the, the round ends with somebody on top of somebody in their guard and the person isn't getting up quite fast enough. And their opponent just like kicks them off and like gets up pissed off. I have seen that play out so many times and never seen a point taken for it like that. Now I'm saying maybe it should be sure it is. It was just a little bit, bit like, and there are levels to it. And another thing is, you know, referees officiate differently depending yeah. on who's in there. So yeah. the official might know the backstory and was like, I'm not tolerating any bullshit between you two. Y'all want to, y'all be. aren't keeping it clean. I'm taking a point right away. I'm not playing games. And they have these conversations with fighters yeah. beforehand. So yeah. it could have been a situation like that. I'm not upset for that point. But no, I'm not upset about I'm the not point. I was upset just... that the second point was taken because it's an illegal move. You can't need people on the ground. But the fact that it's even a rule is disgusting. Yeah, that... And this is a perfect example why. Yeah, I'm not saying that I'm upset that it had the first point was taken. I'm just saying I'm surprised. I'm surprised because I have seen that happen a hundred times before easily. And I've never seen a point taken for it before. And so the second point was weird because they stopped the fight and the fight was over, but then they deducted the point anyway after the fact to the point where the judges were given their scorecards back. They were already tallied yep. and they had to retally them at, to deduct the point. And that stinks. Like that smells fishy to me. And maybe it was on the up and up, but you can't do that. That just, it, it doesn't, there's too much room for, for shenanigans. 
Yeah, there's that too. I don't I don't actually have a big problem with that. I just think the what really should happen there is that the official the, the official that they handed the scorecards into should just be able to do the math. You don't need to give you don't need to give these no, cards no, back no. to people. This I don't want anybody writing on to... my scorecard. No, 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 no. Nobody else should be writing on my scorecard that I signed off on. You can't do that. Well, eh, what a, I mean, then you have to then you have to allow it to be given back. If or nobody else can write to, on or, it by or you. you, you can't deduct points after the fight's over. How about that? Nah, I I don't see any problem with that. That you got a you got a you got a foul that ends a fight and you're trying to figure out what to do about it and you're maybe talking to a couple other officials and all that and the the cage side officiate the cage side judges are out ahead of you you can't control that like you can't but I, I think I'd rather see a DQ here than this wonky ending sure sure I could see that I could see that this was this was all it was just a mess it was a shit show. Yeah. Hundred percent. All right, let's move on. Catch weight bout. Brian Battle, Gabe Green, and all before this fight, I was all just like, "Man, Gabe Green's pressure is gonna be a problem." What does Brian Battle do against a high output, high pressure fighter like Gabe Green? And you just knock him out. That that was it. That's what he did. Gabe Green. I mean, even under high pressure circumstances, this was the dumbest way for Gabe Green to fight. To just run at him with throwing both hands with reckless abandon. You know, like unless it would have worked, and then it well, was like, sure. of course you pressured him and knocked him out. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Don't show the fuck up. That's what this was, right? He did in front of a home crowd. He was getting bullied. He was getting pushed back. He was getting hit. And he made a conscious choice to bite down on his mouthpiece and fire back. And we got a gorgeous pocket, bro. I mean, this is fantastic. Like, this is what I want to see. You know, Zane, you always talk I about know, I know you love those instant knockouts. Oh, it's the best. You sure this it one wasn't awesome. too long for you, Eddie? You sure it wasn't too long? <laughs> it's right there within the cup. But, I, I mean, it's, this was – this is great. Like, what – I don't want anything more than a fight. If all fights were like this, I'd be a happy camper. (laughs) It's like a mini war that has this abrupt ending. And like the dude, like you could just see the raw emotion. Like he's like bawling his eyes out as they're announcing his name in front of his friends and family. And like, I'm not like eager or, or I don't mark the calendar for a Brian battle fight. This was cool as shit. This might be the coolest thing he ever does in his career. This was absolutely could be because remember, remember when he had that head kick knockout and he could have just walked away like a boss, but then he had that lame ground and pound follow up. Yeah, man, you couldn't have done fucking cool. You you, you botched a little bit. Well, he made up for that here. This was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was cool, and uh, you know, keeps battle interesting in the welterweight division. I'm feeling, unfortunately, it, it takes away a lot of the interest uh, for Gabe Green in the welterweight division going forward. As a dude who was like kind of a high-output pressure machine, he's now just had two really rough-looking losses for him that were not exciting on his side of things at all. You know, that, that Ian Gary fight was not competitive, and this was... Terrible, terrible. I wonder if like his Phil Rowe win maybe skewed our our opinion on him as a fighter. For, for me, it was honestly it it was his loss to Daniel Rodriguez that really had me like, oh, I like this dude because he took he came in. I can't even remember. It might have been on short notice. I think it was. And he just went. They went to war. It was just this like high output foot race. D-Raw landing big counters, Green staying in his face, staying gritty, all that kind of stuff. And then he comes out and he does it to Philip Rowe where he comes back and he's putting on the pressure. And then he does it to Yon And I'm like, yeah, this is fun. This dude's a fun, you know, he's a capable, high output, tough action fighter. And then Ian Gary made him look silly and Brian Battle made him look way sillier. (laughs) So. Shout out to Brian Battle, man. He, yeah. He, the most he's unexpected be, moment of the entire card. 
I get the feeling he's going to be one of those fighters that I am fading for the bulk of his career. And he's just like, keeps showing up and keeps winning. And I'll just be like, yeah, but next time it's not going to happen again to me. I got it now. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's, he's tying Matt Brown and Derek Lewis for most knockouts in UFC history, 10 years from now or something. Either that, or I finally jump on the train and then he gets wrecked. No, that's <laughs> well, how it always he's gonna get wrecked along the way I sure mean, he sure. got wrecked in his last fight honestly no the i fact know that he yeah. even survived and that fight wasn't stopped seven times is a miracle mm-hmm. all right that brings us finally to our opening bout tainara lisboa jessica rose clark and um man clark is things are not working for her in the cage Nothing about her game seems to work anymore at all. You Which know? is fine. Not everyone yeah. can be good, Zane. <laughs> I know, I know not everyone can be good. It's just she had a she, you know, she's one of those people who she started fighting a long time ago. And she was kind of a one-note back foot counter puncher whose footwork wasn't that clean and all that. And then she finally gets to, you know. She she gets to make the jump to off of Invicta and all that into the UFC. And it's like, oh, she's getting a little money, some better training, start putting something together. And she her fights, you know, with like Panny Kian Zod and Jessica I were at least interesting. And she comes out and she beats Sarah Alpar and she beats Jocelyn Edwards. And it's like, oh, okay, you're putting something together. But anxiety just seems like it has taken over her career. Like she, I mean, she's talked about it and she's talked about wanting, you know, thinking about retirement and stuff like that too. And like this fight, she mixed it up and she went out there and she'd throw a couple strikes at Lisboa and just get countered and just look like she had no interest in being in, out there in this fight anymore. And yeah, after that, after like the first exchange. Yeah. It, honestly, it's once she got rocked. She got rocked yeah. in the first round where she like went total, she went dazed and yeah, she came too, but. After that, it was a lot more gun shy, and she was dying in those clinches. Like yeah, she, just, she just was failing miserably, expending so much gas for no reason, tiring herself out, and then to get reversed against the cage and pieced up. Rough yep. night at the office, and Lubana, yeah. credit to yeah. her, she's got some, yeah. some really solid tools. She's polished on the feet. She's got snap in her punches. And you know she can hold her out, hold her own on the ground. So yeah, this was this was, was a huge step up for her. This was a huge step up from her for her Lisboa. Like she fought nobody on the regionals. She was fighting zero and zero, zero and one, one and four, like the worst opposition possible. And then had to take like a year off after getting signed to the UFC off that record. And is now like came in with a win, came in looking great, came in looking like that time off paid off for her. She looked way cleaner, way more consistent, way sharper with her punches. Everything just looked better. So, yeah, she's she's a fun addition to the women's bantamweight. And unfortunately for uh, Jessica Rose Clark, it might be the last we see of her in the UFC because... I mean, at some point, even a even a division like women's bantamweight, you got to be like, okay, you've gotten, you've been finished three times in your last three fights. You don't really look like you're enjoying any of this. We should probably not do this anymore. Yeah, that might be it for her. Well, who knows? She yeah. might get one more. Yeah. But I, we got she's being replaced. If that's the case, yeah. by, by yeah. someone who's a ton of fun. All right, all told, up and down the card. Pretty decent time. We saw things. There was no like major highlight, but uh, you know, experience. Well, we had. got a couple. The Gary head kick I thought was sure, sensational. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And the Brian Battle knockout was totally unexpected. Yeah, so. that, both of those. All right. On that note, we're gonna jump over here in just a second to record some bonus content for Substack. So if you're not subscribed to our Substack. Jump on the Substack, help us out, help keep Bloody Elbow independent. And in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. And you can find both of us over 
every single day of our lives, rain or shine, snow or sleet, whatever it is, we are on bloodyelbow.com. So thanks, everyone, and we'll see like you the, later. We're like the Waffle House of, of MMA journalism. That's right. Journalism. Open all night, might get hurt. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Music B, RSS Radio, IMDB, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, Podcruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the Sixth Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, exclusive fighter interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker.